Hello, Galactic Castaways. This is Alpha Control, the podcast about Irwin Allen's classic sci-fi adventure TV series, Lost in Space. I am your mission controller for this podcast, Colonel Lane August, and I'm joined by my trusty co-controller, Dr. Kurt Kersteiner. Kurt and I are old college chums, children of the 1960s, and most importantly, big fans of Lost in Space. Welcome aboard as we blast off together to celebrate Erwin Allen's Lost in Space. Now, let's get ready to launch. Welcome back, folks, for a special episode of Alpha Control, a Lost in Space podcast. Today I'm flying the Jupiter 2 solo without my trusty co-host, Kurt, but that's because we have a very special guest to interview, Marta Kristen, well known to Lost in Space fans as the beautiful actress who played Judy Robinson. Ms. Kristen has led a fascinating life before, during, and after her time on the classic series. Born as Birgit Annalisa Ruzanen in Oslo, Norway at the end of World War II, she spent the first four years of her life living in an orphanage until she was adopted by Professor and Mrs. Harold Soderquist of Detroit, Michigan, who named Marta in honor of a social worker who helped her parents navigate her adoption process. Marta quickly adapted to her new family and home in the United States and displayed a talent for performing at an early age. As a teenager in Michigan, she was already acting in summer stock theater by the age of 14. Then, in 1959, a family trip to California marked a fateful turn in her life, as Marta was later discovered by a Hollywood producer while on a date at a drive-in in Santa Monica. That, in turn, led to several guest-starring roles on some of the most popular TV shows of the early 60s, including The Loretta Young Show, Leave it to Beaver, My Three Sons, and Alfred Hitchcock Presents, where she shared screen time with her future Robinson sibling, Billy Moomy. Prior to Lost in Space, Marta also scored roles in the Disney feature film Savage Sam, and later the beach party movie Beach Blanket Bingo, where she played the mermaid Lorelai. When she later appeared on an episode of the series The Greatest Show on Earth, Marta caught the attention of Irwin Allen, who wanted to cast her in his next big sci-fi TV series and wouldn't take no for an answer. Eventually, Marta agreed to become a member of the Robinson family, and the rest is history. Originally, her character was meant to be the love interest of the castaway's pilot, Major Don West. For a variety of reasons, though, that romance remained more suggested than overt. But during the three seasons she played Judy Robinson, Marta still experienced some wild adventures while lost in space. After the series ended, Marta raised a family and continued to work, making over 40 TV commercials, as well as guest starring in numerous TV shows, parts in several feature films, and on the stage. Today, Marta still resides in Southern California, while continuing to work on her craft, as well as making occasional public appearances at various Lost in Space-related events. Her fans still adore her, and that lasting affection 
is returned by her warmth and charm. I had the pleasure of speaking with Marta in person at the 2021 Wonderfest convention in Louisville, Kentucky. So get ready to enjoy this delightful interview with the luminous Marta Kristen. Marta Kristen, thank you for being here on Alpha Control at Wonderfest 2021. Wonderfest, the best fan base club as far as I know, or fan base convention anywhere. Oh, it's awesome. And uh, you really look like you were having a good time yesterday getting to meet your fans and so forth. <laughs> Probably too good of a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of a good time, I'm going to apologize. I'm a little hoarse this morning, but I was hanging around these wild guys last night. Uh-huh. And, they, and let's just say I stayed a little bit too long <laughs> At the bar last uh-huh. night. Too long at the party. Yeah. Too long at the fair. Yeah. Listen, me great. too. Listen to me. <laughs> it's great, though. And I know people just really appreciate you being here. This is not your first time at Wonderfest, right? You've been here a couple times. It's my third time. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you as a performer and an artist yourself must really appreciate this. I know you make a lot of public appearances, but you must really appreciate this one because this one's all about creative people coming here to show off their art and their models and their That's paintings. Right. This one is about fan based people who are real artists. I mean, it. They're astounding what they put together. I mean, the intricacy of the pieces that they do, it's unbelievable. I I imagine that the amount of work that they put into Mm -hmm. it must be hours and hours because the pieces are all done so beautifully with such care and and such love and such great artistry. Right. A lot of passion, you know, people really get into this stuff. And But you're an artist yourself, correct? I am. You know, I, I like to think of myself as an artist because I'm not trained, but um, I sort of, um, I paint uh, with my heart and I use multi-layers of um, oil pastels and I, and I scratch images on it, um, on the canvas and paper. They often look um, like a tapestry. Right. And I use uh, a variety of um, images that uh, sort of come from my heart. Birds are a uh, a common theme that I, I seem to come up with. But I, I did one large piece called Morning Has Broken. And I started off trying to figure out what Mark Rothko does and how he gets the light from behind his canvases. Of course, I, I, I'm not a by any means, Mark Rothko. But I was just, you know, just playing with it. And mm-hmm. um, and my pieces always evolve. They start with an idea. And then um, the beauty of scratching is that I, because of all the layers that I have, behind the, finally, the top coat um, come out. And I never quite know what they're going to be. So it's mm. a surprise. I imagine it's a little therapeutic, too. It's very therapeutic. Time goes by in in an instant when I'm working. That's awesome. Well, creative people like yourself, that's important, you know, to have an outlet. Uh, if it's not acting or performing, you know, having some other way to get those creative juices flowing and experience that, that's a lot of fun. So, Well, I certainly found that out in the pandemic because I'm alone and... Um, <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's- it, uh, yeah, it was hard, and I sort of lifted, had to lift myself up out of, uh, uh, you know, the blues. And painting was a way of doing it. Exactly. Well, we were talking about the <laughs> twenty twenty is a is a year. I guess a lot of us are glad to have in the back <laughs> in the yeah. rearview mirror. Adios. <laughs> with a lot of challenges, a lot of craziness that yeah. went on. And I don't want to bring the mood down too much, but I think it'd be only appropriate to mention one thing about 2020 that was especially important to the Lost in Space fan base. And of course, that was the passing of your good friend, Kevin Burns. It was oh. a shock for us. I mean, <laughs> Well, I had um, 
just spoken with Kevin. Um, he called me a couple of times a week, and <laughs> 10 o'clock, the, the phone would ring. I'd say, who the hell is that? <laughs> of course, he'd say, Marta Kristen. I'd say, Kevin Burns. And we would talk, <laughs> we would talk and talk and talk. We'd talk politics, uh, even if we disagreed on some things. At the Always at the end, we'd say, oh, that was such a lovely conversation. And um, I miss him Dearly, mm-hmm. my my um, he he of course was the shaker and mover behind keeping Lost in Space, the memory of Lost in Space alive, and um, he was a dear, dear, kind, generous man. Um, he gave me a wonderful seventy fifth birthday party, for instance, and um, uh, that was the last party we all went to because uh, the COVID, um, the pandemic, uh, isolation and quarantine started. But uh, yeah. he was just he was just and. For my birthday, he gave me a role for um, being part of the Lost in Space, the Netflix series. It didn't come about because of um, Canada wouldn't wouldn't allow people in. They finally closed the borders just just the week I was supposed to be going. Oh man! Oh, it was tough. It hurt hurt my heart. Not so much because I mean I, I, I of course wanted to do the role. But because Kevin so much wanted me to do right, it, right. and the character's name uh, was Anne Williams, Anne after his sister who had passed the year before, and um, Guy Williams, of yeah. course. Yeah. Well, I feel very fortunate. I, of course, I did not know him like you did, obviously, but he was the very first interview I did for the podcast, and he came on again, and we would always do an interview around the time of the Netflix premiere. But he was just a, a nice guy, you know. I heard he could be kind of mercurial at, at times, <laughs> but he was never anything but nice to me. And the funny thing was, I mentioned this to somebody else, he never actually told me that he was listening to our podcast, but I would get these emails from him at crazy, <laughs> just random emails. Yeah, exactly. at like It was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I said, who's – Oh, it's Kevin. He's saying, you know, you said this about that, and it actually wasn't quite that way. Let me tell you how it really happened. Or <laughs> we tried to get this toy company to do something, and the <laughs> the idiots wouldn't do it. So he was he was kind of a character in his oh, own rest, and a killer yeah. Jonathan Harris impersonation. Oh, yes, yes, he was a wonderful Jonathan. Oh my gosh, we in fact he did the voice on the Blu-ray, and and mm. uh, he. Oh, he was so charming. Kevin yeah. was so, so charming and informed, smart. He knew about like everything. And he would tell me about the various uh, things that he was doing on all the other programs. And, mm-hmm. and, um, he always, he was always giving me new information. And I, it was like, he was like, um, my mentor, mm. my, my teacher, my guru, yeah. you know. Well, I know he cared very much about all of you guys yeah. from the show. And of course he was. He was not just a producer executive type, but he was actually a real Lost in Space fan. And so yes. we're all crossing our fingers that the the properties are are going to be in good hands going forward. And, and I things. think so. John Jashney, his uh, his partner at, uh, at Prometheus, uh, really wants to keep you know keep his uh, the memory of what Kevin wanted mm-hmm. uh, going and and alive. That's good to hear. Well, let's talk about you because that's. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. You get a lot of questions about Lost in Space in every interview, I'm mm-hmm. sure. And we're going to obviously talk a little bit about Lost in Space. But I like to talk about before Lost in Space and maybe after Lost in Space a little bit. Can you share with the audience how did you first get into being a performer? Well, let's start in the beginning. I, I was born in uh, Norway and I uh, was in an orphanage for five years. And then I came to America and adopted by two amazing people mm. who really saved my life in so many ways. That's wonderful. And um, my mother told me that when I got off the plane, I walked like Charlie Chaplin. And 
She said, ah, a performer. They were both educators, so they knew exactly what to enrich in my life, you know, dance lessons, singing lessons. Uh, and they were, they were so supportive of whatever I wanted to do. So in, um, 1960, my father and mother took sabbatical leave uh, from teaching to use the USC library for, I uh, was writing a book on uh, Kierkegaard. Wow. <laughs> and, um, my mother's uh, sister lived in California. So, well, and that's where we, we ended up. And James Harris, the producer of Lolita, came up to me in a restaurant. And I had been acting, of course, ever since I came to America and uh, in little theater and all kinds of uh, school plays, which I even wrote a school play in sixth grade. Wow. And um, it was a silly, very silly piece. But anyway, uh, so it was in my blood. It's what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do it for, yeah. you know all my years. And um, anyway, James Harris came up to me and said, are you interested in acting? And I said, oh, I've never been interested in anything else. Mm. And he said, well, I'm producing a movie with Stanley Kubrick called Lolita. I said, oh, that's interesting. I had, you know, I didn't know who Stanley Kubrick was at the time. And, and so he said, I, w I would love to have you test for it. And, and, uh, but I said, well, I have to ask my parents. Mm. And, uh, how old would you have been at that time? I was uh, 15. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. That's that's about Lolita age. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, uh, my parents read the book and uh, thought that the vehicle wasn't right for me. But uh, A little racy? Uh, a little, <laughs> a little. They, they didn't think that it would be a good choice. And I think they were right. It wasn't, uh, you know, it, it would have pigeonholed me in a very different way than, mm -hmm. than what I eventually was pigeonholed as. But, but he was so delightful. He introduced me to a man named Julian Ludwig and uh, got me an agent. And wow. I started working right away. And I became sort of the ingenue that you would call to do a um, part that fit my character and, or who I was. I, like, I did the first two-parter on television called Four Feet in the Morning, and it was a um, crossover from Dr. Kildare to Eleventh Hour. And yeah, and uh, and it was about uh, teenage pregnancy and abortion. That's and pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> and you couldn't even say pregnant on television at the time, right? Uh, with the code that uh, was uh, uh, unfortunately uh, put onto all of the networks at the time, and the moral morality code. And I was so thrilled to be a part of that piece because Doctor Kildare was one of my favorite programs. Mm. And Eleventh Hour went from Doctor Kildare, which was my trying to abort the baby, and uh, then to Eleventh Hour and about teenage pregnancy and and having the child and. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, how does that affect two teenagers who are not prepared for right. parenthood or having to give up their lives right. to, in, in, in many ways, to be parents and, yeah. and the struggles that, that ensued? That doesn't get much more real than that, does it? No, no. It was a wonderful program, Four Feet in the Morning, it was called. That's great. But you had a number of other TV appearances, I guess, guest starring roles in yes. other shows. Uh, everything from uh, Leave it to Beaver <laughs> to uh, My Three Sons. I know yes, you were on those yes. shows. Piggy, I played Piggy. <laughs> yeah, I had a mad crush on Don Grady. Yeah. But the show that Irwin Allen saw to put me into Lost in Space was The Greatest Show on Earth right. with Jack Pound. Right. And I played a tightrope walker who uh, was great on up in the sky, but a real klutz on the ground. Mm -hmm. And uh, Irwin said, I want that girl. Mm -hmm. And I met with Irwin. I, I remember wearing a pink boucle suit and big 
hoop earrings and he loved he, for he loved the color he loved the earrings uh, <laughs> i think that sort of uh, sealed the deal <laughs> well, I heard he was flashy himself, right? Yeah, well, it, 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 he was very visual, you yeah. know, as you could see in Lost in Space, you know, especially in the second and third years, mm-hmm. the color and the um, almost the uh, the comic book look that we had. Right, right. Well, that was the era. That was the Andy Warhol, you know, pop vibes. Everything had to be bright and brilliant, you know. That's right. Color TV was new, so yeah. hey, we're gonna. You want color? We're gonna give you color, right? Here it is, and That's we right. and we gave it, and and we were opposite Batman, right. so. It went from, you know, this black and white uh, show the first year, where it was quite serious. Yeah, almost film noir vibe it, to yes, it, you know. Yes, yes. I mean, we had Michael Rennie from uh, Third Man and uh, and Jonathan's very good friend. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we had every wonderful character actor you could think of, possibly think of in our show. But the first year was darker, and it right. was more of a space family adventure series where, you know, you got in trouble and you you know, encountered difficulties and monsters and, and seas and right. earthquakes and God knows what else. And uh, any disaster that you could think of we encountered. But it was more science fiction, more what I considered to be more serious right. uh, science fiction. And But then, again, the pop art aspect came into the second and third years. That's cool. Um, I want to ask you, dial back a little bit. Now, you were in two motion pictures, I think, before Lost in Space as well, right? You were in yes. a Savage Sam, uh-huh. which I think was like a, a almost like a sequel to Old Yeller. That was a sequel, yeah. It was a Disney film, right? That, yeah. And that was pretty cool, I imagine, working on that one. Well, what I loved working um, on Savage Sam, I was so thrilled to be outside with horses. Mm-hmm. I grew up with horses. Although my mother didn't like me hanging out at the stables, but I, I, I guess she didn't. She was quite proper, and I guess she didn't feel that that was a, uh, a very uh, ladylike, ladylike yeah. exactly. Uh, and I was raking up the muck and cleaning the hooves, and and just so I could get a you know a, a ride on, a, on on someone's horse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I was around horses and cowboys, and I couldn't have been happier. Yeah, uh, um, being outside. Um, although the film itself was, I don't think was terribly good. It was a not politically correct. I'm kidnapped by Navajo Indians right. and held. The damsel in distress. The, yeah, and um, <laughs> we wouldn't be doing that today. Right. Um, I mean, we finally, uh, in our history lessons, uh, became aware of the difficulties. I mean, the horrible conflicts that uh, occurred between the Indians and uh, the settlers. And, yes. Right. Well, the other film you did was uh, Beach Blanket Bingo, I think, yeah. right? That, yeah. that was a whole other phenomenon of the time. You know, I call it be- BBBB. <laughs> <laughs> and you played a mermaid. Mermaid, Lorelai. You know, way before, folks, Daryl Hannah was in Splash, mm. there was Lorelai, right? There was Lorelai, yes. And I look at the film and I think, oh, my goodness, how sweet, how sweet I am. Mm-hmm. And my voice is high, and you know, it's the, almost the little girl that um, – and it was very sexy. It yeah. was uh, It was a very um, – because of the innocence, I think. That's what I was going to say. It's still innocent, though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing, yeah. you know. <laughs> and it was so much fun to – well, <clears throat> I was the only one who really had to go into the water besides the surfers. And How I, was that in the costume? Yeah, well, I didn't have to wear the – fortunately, I didn't have to wear the very, very heavy um, tail, fishtail. <laughs> but I did have um, – I did have an incident when I was in the water, and I had to be smiling and looking around, and it was very cold. And and I think it was November, the beginning of November, so the water was really cold. And uh, William Asher 
uh, with his megaphone, is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he kept saying, smile. <laughs> and, I w- and I was trying to stay above the water, and the surge was taking me towards the rocks that were right next to me. And, uh, you know, because it was picturesque to have the mermaid in front of a rock. But um, there was someone with scuba diving equipment behind the rock. But I thought, well, he's not going to be much help if I'm, <laughs> if I'm dashed against the rock sure. by a big wave, because you never know. But I'm a good swimmer. I'm strong, and um, I always love the water. So I'm. A, people say you must be a Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I am, and um, it was a good memory. I, I made friends. I, I Mickey Dora and uh, Johnny Fane were the top surfers uh-huh. in, and I admired their skills, their right. abilities, and and uh, they were all, they were always in the movies. And of course, Buster Keaton mm, was in the. Movie. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I went up to him. I said, "I'm sorry to bother you, but because he was very private." And I said, "But I have to tell you that I think you're one of the most brilliant people in film ever, and I just wanted to let you know that." And he looked at me and said, "Thank you." And he was very, very sweet, very, yeah. very kind. Well, and we have to keep reminding ourselves, you were still very young at the time when you were doing all this. I mean, you talked about you had your first offer to to test at age 15. And so my wife wanted me to ask you this question. What was it like? This was like the madman era, after all. What was it like being a, a woman performer, woman actor, you know, in those times? Did you have any difficulties? Was everybody treated sort of the same or was there a difference? Um. <laughs> well, I think women still had, you know... Um, were the second class citizens in uh. the in the business and um there were episodes of abuse mm. uh that I uh experienced that I don't talk about um but since the me too uh movement I've you know I've, I've thought about talking but it's not you know I overcame them um I <laughs> one point I someone pulled me on his lap and I said I'm 16 <laughs> Oh man! And and you know he immediately stopped. But it's that kind of thing that that uh, you know I had to that I encountered and and just had to uh, take care of. Yeah. And um, you know I was never sexually assaulted and and um, okay. Yeah. yeah. But you know there was always that someone who thought that uh, hey you know if I offer you know certain things that uh, you know if you do this I'll I'll give you that and I just uh, you know. That was not me. That wasn't my upbringing. As a performer, did you have any mentors at that time? Were there people that you looked up to or that took you under their wing? Or were you kind of flying solo for for (laughs) yourself? Yeah. Well, what what happened was that I, you know, my parents had to go back to Michigan. My mother stayed with me for a couple of months. And then I stayed with some, uh, a friend whose mother ended up being an alcoholic. Oh, boy. (laughs) And we'd come home from school and mother was at work and we'd both go Searching for the bottles of booze. Oh, boy. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and we'd throw it all away. And then the mother would come home and she'd go and rant about, you know, uh, where are my bottles? And, and uh, then she'd go to the store and buy more. So I told my parents, and of course, they immediately took me out of that situation sure. and put me into a, a very good friend who is my best friend now. She, she was older than I and she, uh, watched over me and took me to school and all that and she had her own job but but she would pick me up she was my my like your guardian like my guardian she was my guardian Uh, she was only about five years older but uh 
Yeah. We're, and as I said, she's my best friend. That's awesome. Well, those are important, you know, yeah. and especially in a situation like that. Your parents, how great is that? You had parents that were supportive of you and what you wanted to do from an early age. And to, I mean, that's kind of unique. I don't know a lot of parents that would say, hey, we're going back to Michigan and we trust you and we're going to make sure you're in a good situation like that. I think they knew I wouldn't go back. <laughs> they said, well, I'm stubborn as hell. And, and, you know, they said, oh, no, well, I guess we can't fight that. Right. We'll find a way to... Um, because it was my dream, right? you know, uh, although I originally had, had thought that I would go to New York because theater, right. was, you know, theater was my life and uh, wanted to apply to Juilliard and, and um, I'm pretty sure I would have gotten in mm. and uh, then, uh, you know, uh, do theater in New York or wherever right. I, I could get in. But I continued to do theater uh, with a group of other people. We started a theater company called West Coast Ensemble oh. in the... Uh, 80s and uh it was uh, voted to be the best theater company small theater company by npr in los angeles that's wild yeah, yeah. we did and uh, when you are a part of a theater company it's an ensemble and you not only act and direct and produce but you also clean toilets sure. and and build sets and paint and which i love I'm, i yeah. love doing all that so yeah. well you're still at it right i saw something you post on Facebook, you were recently part of some sort of a workshop or something. Showcase, yeah. Tell us about that. I study with uh, the best theater company, I think, in Los Angeles, and it's uh, the John Ruskin Theater. They have wonderful teachers, and uh, my teachers, uh, Mikey Myers and John Ruskin. And Mikey gives us, well, we've been doing everything on Zoom. And, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's... Uh, it's a challenge, a great challenge, especially for younger people who are not used to film, mm -hmm. to find a way to uh, really focus on um, and be still for a scene, uh, because you have to on a close-up, of course. But it's a great exercise in concentration mm. and in having the life behind your eyes, you know, mm. and, and that means that you have to just give yourself completely to the character because close up is you you have to be truthful you you have to be authentic you have to be um real when you are that close to a camera but of course we do our own lighting and our own costumes and our own set design and 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 then your scene work is done completely to a small screen and you don't have the benefit of moving around or connecting you know, physically with the person. But it's a great lesson in how to be still and how to focus. Interesting. So you're you're not only performing in this, you're actually teaching and coaching and stuff like that as well, correct? I'm not. No, no, I'm, I'm not. But I do coach, but uh, not with my scene partner. Okay. But what I do get is um, the, the young people, uh, the recent scene I did was from Doubt, and, and the lovely young man I was working with said, Wow, you're like a whole nother master class. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you should be teaching. You're teaching me right now. So I never thought about that. But that is something when you're doing a close up, you can't hide, can you? You can't hide. Uh. There's no nowhere to go, but you just give yourself to the situation mm -hmm. and whatever comes, comes. But as long as you're prepared, as long as you know who you are, what you are, you know, uh, your relationship with everyone and within, within the whole piece. I mean, you don't just read your, your scene. It was funny when I, when I used to interview people for audition people for West Coast Ensemble, I'd say to the actor, have you read the whole script? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they say, no, I've just read my piece. <laughs> I said, no, no. <laughs> 
go back, read, read the whole piece, then come back and read. And, uh, because I want, I want to know how you feel about who you are in, in, right. in the circumstance that, uh, we're now reading about and what's your relationship with, with the script, with, with the story. Right. Cause it all starts with the story. Yeah. It's all connected, right? I mean, exactly. you, can't, you can't just pluck out one piece. No, and, you can't. No. Uh, that's wild. Oh, that's beautiful. I guess in your line of work, you're really never finished learning and, perfecting your craft. I mean, it's an evolving process. I've always taken lessons of, because you have to, it's, it's an instrument. You have to practice. Sure. And if you don't practice and you're called in, uh, you know, and you're not ready, then it's just, you can't fake it, right? You can't fake it. No. That's wild. I hope you're enjoying our special interview with lost in space star, Marta Kristen, as much as I am. Her life in show business has earned Marta many devoted fans, and you can tell she returns their affection in equal measure. She's got more to share about her acting career, life, and Lost in Space. So sit tight for part two of our interview with Lost in Space star Marta Kristen. Well, Let's talk a little bit of Lost in Space. You okay. started, and I, I veered you off of that, but I'm, I'm really fascinated with all these other things, which I don't get to hear a lot from you. So thank you for sharing so much of this. It's really nice to hear. So Erwin Allen picked you off with uh, The Greatest Show on Earth. What, what do you think he saw in you at that point? And was it specifically for the character Judy? Do you know that? That's what he wanted you for? Yeah. I okay. think he saw, number one, that I was um, a professional, that I you know could do the work, sure. that I was uh, talented. He saw that I was quite stunning when I was, uh, oh, yes. yeah, and, yeah, when I was 20, uh, I looked young. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a, um, we talked earlier about a sense of innocence. I had that because I wasn't overtly sexy, mm-hmm. but I was just by being who I was, uh, being a Michigan raised girl, you know, wholesome. Yes. And, uh, you know, that in itself is uh, what he wanted. Right. And, um, that that I enjoyed being there, that I enjoyed doing it, that I was so excited and thrilled to be a part of it. I think. Well, this uh, is also. a pilot, right? You're getting, yeah. And you've been doing guest starring parts, great. Yeah. You know, been in a couple of movies, but now if this thing gets picked up, you're going to be a <laughs> you're going to be a regular cast member on a Isn't on a prime. You know, I never thought of that when I was doing it. I never thought, oh, this is going to be, uh, you know, um, uh, successful and it's going to make my career. I never thought of that. I just was happy to be doing it. I had worried about it in the beginning because, um, I, as I said, I had been doing all the shows on television and I was also doing theater during the time uh-huh. and small theater. And, um, I was worried that I would get lost, <laughs> literally, and uh, in in the space of uh, so many people, uh, also being part of my space or this space. And in fact, it did happen that um, I didn't get to do what I thought I was going to be able to do. Well, I was going to ask you about that. How much background information did they give you on the character of Judy? I mean, was it like a little show Bible that said Judy's interested in this? What, or did you have to d- develop some of that on your own? Well. <laughs> I have to laugh a bit, but uh, because I I was supposed to have been uh, wanting to be a, a musical theater actor. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> to go up to space and that I didn't know how that related at all. But I thought, well, that's okay because I can 
you can relate, absolutely right? integrate that into yeah. my in, into Judy's role that I could be singing, going off singing somewhere, mm-hmm. and or even reciting Lady Macbeth, which I used to do as mm-hmm. a, myself, and uh, as a kid walking around saying, "Oh, you know, out damn spot out." I say one day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> "Oh, to have so much blood in him." Anyway, um, <laughs> I loved doing that when I was a child, and <laughs> I was sort of startling my parents and their friends, but. Um, <laughs> um, it so I thought that that would be fun, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we'll be able to create something from that, but it just didn't happen, you know. I thought, well, then if that's not going to happen, then there'll be a love interest between uh, Major West and myself, right? And that didn't happen because of the uh, ethical ethics code. And yeah, I think the network probably was squelching, and I mean, they it, squelched all of that. Didn't want to touch. No one touched. No one, you know. Uh, Mom and Dad didn't even. Yeah, I think they only kissed like once or twice yeah, in the entire series, yeah. and then it was no more of that mush. You know, no, they were put. Uh, kibosh was put on that early on by the by the network, apparently. Uh-huh. And um, you know, I mean, it was just Mark and myself. I mean, Penny was too young, right? And <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Let's go for a, another walk, Judy. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. So Mark and I sort of exchanged knowing looks and loving right. looks and flirtation looks and. That was all that we could do. Yeah. Well, I particularly remember a lot of those in the in the pilot, and then of course used a lot of that footage for the the reluctant stowaway, the premiere episode. Yeah. There's a, quite a few nice little knowing looks back and yeah. forth, and, yeah. and uh, obviously uh, you could tell that Don was very taken with you, as, as <laughs> the, <laughs> the rest of America was. Oh, thank and you. we uh, and we still are to this day. You know, it's funny. You're surrounded by these fans, and I know you really enjoy meeting with them. And of course, we're all obsessed with Lost in Space. Uh-huh. And from your perspective, I, I imagine it's like, well, there was 83 episodes. You know, I actually probably don't, you probably don't remember all these minute details. Oh, they but, do. You know, that they do. But do you have any particularly fond memories of the times that you were working on the show that, you know, things that stand out in your mind from the time? Was it being around the other cast members? Because I think you guys really did kind of gel. We did gel. And I learned to play Killer Scrabble. June and Guy taught me that. All the uh, Q-U mm. uh, words. Um, in fact, my husband, um, my wonderful Late husband, Kevin, um, we would go to Palm Springs and he was uh, an attorney and mm-hmm. uh, plaintiff's elder abuse attorney. And, and so his friends would come and there was one guy who was from Washington, D.C. and very higher up in the, in the government. And I said, Hey, Stan, you want to play Scrabble? And he said, Yeah, I'm a really good Scrabble player. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, my first seven letter word. He went, uh, gulp. <laughs> and he decided he better pay attention and, and I beat him. And, wow. uh, so, but uh, all that's because of June and Guy. Wow. You know, Guy and June, oh, June was just extraordinary to work with. She had, um, interests in everything. Mm-hmm. And I admired her so much because she, she was, you know, I mean, interested in journalism and, and interested in space, of course, and interested in, uh, literature and and uh, music and 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 so was Guy, right. and uh, they were to be admired. And uh, as a young person, uh, right. I did so. And Jonathan, I learned I learned so much from Jonathan. Be on time, be uh, respectful to everyone on the set, right. the crew. Um, care about them, ask about them, know who they are, and sit there, Marta, and watch what's going on. 
And I always tell students that um, if you're on, in theater, don't go to your dressing room. Don't go behind stage and, and you know, uh, drink your coffee. Sit in the seats and watch what's going on and listen. And Jonathan told me that, stay on the set. Watch what's going on. See how things work. And um, it's uh, going to university, mm. you know, to uh, to do that. You're a student of life as an actor because you're always watching what people do sure. and trying to figure out how you can integrate what you see into characters that you play. And so it, sitting on the set, you also learn about, you know, uh, photography, about lighting, about... Um, how people work together right. and uh, the ensemble. That's great. Since you bring him up, Jonathan Harris, of course, he's not with us anymore, but um, I always have the impression, just looking at outside, that he's in performance mode almost all the time. Did, did he ever let that <laughs> down? Because there's a lot of time between takes when you're on the set, right? Yeah. Did he ever not have that performance factor going? When I would watch him on the set, he was um, he was either you know learning his lines writing his lines. Oh, right, right. Because <laughs> he, he did that, right? Yes, he did. Um, well, he did uh, teach me that if you have enough uh, power over your character, you know, to rewrite your lines, always write the last line for yourself because <laughs> the camera ends up on you. <laughs> but, you know, uh, Jonathan, um, in, he stayed pretty much in character, but he would laugh and tell very blue jokes, you know, to the crew, and and they all loved him. They, right. And and every Friday night he brought lollipops, you know, uh, Tootsie Roll lollipops on the set, a great big bag, and he would give one to everybody because Friday nights were long, long nights, uh, long evenings of of work. And, keeping spirits up, right? Yeah, keep your spirits up. And it, he was so delightful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you just learn that you you do those kinds of things. You're you're all one set. If one person is difficult, it mars everything else right. and uh, affects everything that everyone is doing. So, man, you go on, you be a good person. You you listen to people, you talk to people, you find out who they are because you're going to be working with them hopefully for a long time. Right. I seem to remember him a story. Um, I don't think it was you. It might have been Bill Moomy or somebody wanted to do something. Oh, I can do that stunt or something like that. And I seem oh. to recall he would say, no, no, that person has a job. You need to let them do their job. You know, you don't want to take work away from them. Something You're to that effect. Absolutely right. You know, the stunt people, and because uh, a lot of these stand-ins also did your stunts. Mm -hmm. And then they got an extra bump, you know if they were doing the stunts. And uh, so he didn't, he, Jonathan was absolutely right. You don't take that away from people. Mm. You do your job and then say, hey, that's going to be a little difficult for me. Maybe, you know, my stunt person, I mean, my, my stand-in can do that. And they were always thrilled to be able to do something extra. That's cool. Well, besides the regular cast members, there were two other people that you worked with that didn't really get credit for the show. And that was the duo that uh, performed the robot uh, Bob May and Dick Tufeld. Obviously, Bob May was on set because he was in the yeah. in the suit. I've heard so many stories. He really loved doing that part. Yes. But did you also have a chance to interact with uh, Dick Tufeld? I did. We we would all uh, go out to dinner. Uh, I didn't get to know him uh, really well until after the show was done. In fact, Kevin Burns uh, later on brought us all together for dinners and and wow. uh, uh again dick was this charming charming man and very 
erudite and mm. well-read. And, and, and he had that very deep voice, of course, and he was uh, a really good family man. Mm. And um, when his wife uh, had cancer, he took care of her, and she got better through his care. But then he passed away, and that was always uh, so so sad for all of us of course when he did because he was um he was he was such a delight he told stories he mm. was very funny he told stories about he and bobby going through australia and <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh going to uh <laughs> I, I love Bobby, by the way, but Bobby really got into character about the robot. I mean, oh, I heard he you really, just loved that. He loved it. He was the robot. Right. Uh, and he also had to memorize all the lines because he had to well, – He had to do them on yeah, set. He had to right? do them on set. I mean, he had a script in, inside the robot sometimes. But, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, they were on in Australia, and they went to an Aboriginal dance, and Bobby turned around and says, hey, hey. Do they know who I am? Don't they know who I am? <laughs> Dick said, Bobby, you were in the robot. <laughs> I love Dick Tufeld's voice. I mean, there's a lot of great voice actors out there, but it was perfect for the robot. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know who else could have done what Bob May did because he really brought that. It was a character. I mean, it, yeah. it really did. And of course... <laughs> I, I also heard that uh, Jonathan sort of liked to put him down a little bit every now and then. Yeah. We thought he was getting a little bit too high on his horse or yeah, something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was maybe a little bit of the inspiration for the snide looks it, <laughs> that, it, that Dr. Smith would give the rope. Right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was all character work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you know, you had several episodes in the series that were sort of Judy-centric mm -hmm. vehicles. I particularly remember one from the first season that's a, it's an all-time favorite of mine. Attack of the Monster Plants. I'm oh, sure yes. you're asked about that all the time. <laughs> yes. You do like salad, though, right? <laughs> I do like salad. That's all I eat, really. <laughs> Little I hearts of cyclamen. I know. I know. Hearts of cyclamen. I've never even had a cyclamen. I'm sorry. I had to look it up. What is it? Yeah, I know what a plant looks like, the flower. Yeah. But, but uh, That was a great know, role for you. I it mean, was a good role because, I, you know, I'm – I'm essentially a character actor. I didn't look it, so I, I didn't get those parts. Uh -huh. But um, I'm more comfortable playing somebody who's quirky and and unusual and uh, and angry. I could do anger. <laughs> I could do anger really well. <laughs> well, you got to do evil. Uh, you know, you got to yeah, be a villain yeah, sort of a character, yeah, dark character, and you yeah. pulled that off beautifully. Yeah. I mean, it's such a contrast from Judy. Right, you know? right. Plant oh, Judy was yeah. not not nice. You know, <laughs> no. Uh, and one of the things I love about it is I, I was a ballet dancer, and, and when I was going into the um, big plant, plant. you know, I, oh. I look at it, and I, and, and I think to myself, it's almost balletic in a way, because I just sort of sink into it. How did you do – I mean, that is – we, we commented on that when we reviewed that episode. I said, oh. I don't know how she – I don't know how she pulled that move off because it, it's almost like you're – is she on wires or something? Yeah, it, no. That, it's, it's wild. Yeah, it was a dance, really. It's oh. slow dance. It's yeah. a very creepy vibe. You're out there the, <laughs> and all those giant plants are yeah, right, croaking right. like frogs. Uh, well, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> I know. Oh. Yeah, it was all – but it, uh, it was fun to play something different and and, and bad. Uh -huh. And a uh, priest, priest once asked me – I was visiting um, – my husband's family and uh, a Catholic priest had come to dinner, and and uh, and he was so funny. He 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 said, "Marta, is it better to play a good person or a bad person?" I said, "Oh, a bad person, Father." 
<laughs> Everybody much, wants to be the heavy, right? <laughs> much more interesting. Yeah. You have a lot more to work with, you know? Right, right. There's another scene I liked from the first season, and then one, um, one of our dogs is missing that big – that creature that crawled out of the sand pit, he chases you into oh, a yes. canyon. Uh, you, man, you climbed up that rock <laughs> I know. so fast. You, oh, yeah. Very athletic. And- uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, you know, that all comes from just uh, many years of hiking and dance and, you know, and weightlifting and trying to stay in shape. That's, you know, as an actor, that's a part of your responsibility is to right. keep in shape and so that you're ready, ready uh-huh. to jump that whatever you need to jump. Looked like you were having a lot of fun in that episode, The Space Croppers, when you and uh, Sherry Jackson got into sort of a little cat fight over Don. That seemed like that was oh. a fun scene. <laughs> well, better not get in my territory. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, honey. Uh, yeah. I think watching uh, the shows, even the Great Vegetable Rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't way- going to bring that up, by the way, but, but, well, since you did. But, well... You know, TV Guide mentioned it as one of the most memorable shows on television. I, and I don't think that necessarily means good, but, uh, actually when I look at it, it is so silly and so much fun. Mm-hmm. And Stanley Adams right. played the carrot. And, you know, here's a serious character actor playing <laughs> a carrot. Can you imagine how he felt? Mark Goddard, who was always funny on the set, he said, Oh my God. He said, Nine years of the actor's studio, and, and I'm, I'm talking to a carrot. What? Hey, hey, what's my uh, yelling to the director? What's my motivation? <laughs> you're hungry. <laughs> yeah, you're hungry. But I, but I just, I just notice myself walking through the show, and I'm just like, I have a smile on my face the whole time. I'm floating, floating through the show. You know what we don't have? We don't have. Uh, we don't have the blooper reel because I imagine there were some pretty fun times when you cracked oh. up. You had to you had to lose it occasionally. We, I know you're professionals and everything. Oh but. yeah, yeah. We just <laughs> and everybody out there, uh, the crew is probably laughing too, going, "Oh boy!" <laughs> Especially on Friday nights when you know when you're all loopy. Whereas we're all just so crazed and uh, you know and silly and starting to giggle and not be able to say the lines, and then Irwin would come down on the set and he'd say, time is money, time is money, come on, let's get, you know, we couldn't, yeah, we could not get some words out at times. Right. And, um, well, you guys only had six days, I think, to film an episode. That's not much time, you know. Uh, No, no. And we'd get our script in the weekend and then, you know, it's, yeah, we were right back at it. Right. And, um, you know, uh, studying. And so it's, it's not, you know, you don't stop when you leave the set. Mm-hmm. You, you go home and you study and study right, and study right. if yeah. you have a lot to do. Sure. <laughs> Talk about guest stars. There was an episode that you, uh, you had, uh, Gerald Moore on. That was a visit to Hades. Oh, yes. I always liked him. Yeah. It, it must have been fun to work with him as well. Well, it was exciting to work with all these actors who were great. I mean, Mercedes McCambridge. Oh, yes. And, I mean, and Albert Salmi and, and uh, Warren Oates and Kurt Russell. I mean, you know, all these amazing people who uh, – Sheila, Sheila Allen. And right. uh, Sheila, what I found out later from Kevin Burns was that um, – she had been on Broadway, of course, for right. a long time. And uh, after she married Irwin and, and uh, had enough money to give to the various charities that uh, helped Broadway actors, especially act- female actors, she would support them. And um, 
I always loved that about her. That's great. Well, eventually, all good things must come to an end. And uh, I guess, did you guys know when you got to the end of the third season that that was it? Were you expecting it to get renewed? Or I remember leaving uh, the third year and saying goodbye to everybody and saying, I'll see you next year or see you soon mm-hmm. after hiatus. And um, then I got a call saying, you're canceled. Mm. I said, what? <laughs> canceled? And the ratings um, were great. Ratings were good. There are various stories for the reason for the, the cancellation. And uh, the one that I understand is that uh, Irwin was asked by the head of uh, CBS to uh, give them storylines for the next season. And he was so busy doing other shows and I think getting ready for Towering Inferno or whatever, the Poseidon Adventure. You know, he had all these things going, sure. but he didn't, he didn't do that. And, um, oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, there were rumors, other rumors that the, you know, casting would be a little different. And, and, um, there was a lot of turmoil, uh, I guess, uh, you know, with, uh, the idea that, uh, it had become just the, you know, it became the robot and Dr. Smith and Will show. Mm-hmm. But, um, anyway, once the, the network didn't get the uh, storylines of what uh, was going to uh, occur. At least, f- uh, I think they wanted four mm. um, ideas of what, what the scripts were going to be. They said, okay, well, Erwin, you're not giving it to us. We're canceling you. And that decision was made by one person. Nowadays, it would be, you know, uh, it would never happen. No. Because, you know, the ratings were too good. And, right. uh, you know, the... Uh, but Irwin, I guess, figured, ah, so what? You know, I'm on to something else. Right, right. Let me ask you this question. At the time that you were working on Lost in Space, did you have any idea that it would become the phenomenon it is today, 55 years later? Or there was going to be this tremendous fan base of people that just love the show? No, I never knew. No, you you know, as an actor, you well, once it was canceled, I said, well, onward, forward. Right. And, um... I mean, it went into reruns. And, yeah, you know, it went but... into reruns. Of course, we don't get anything for the reruns now. Oh, we, no, really? No, I thought you guys had that stuff. Why? Wire. No, wired. no. Once, no. Once cable came into being, and no, we we don't get anything. Wow. And um, but we do get to come to these conventions, sure, and we get to connect with fans, right? And it's always amazing. The people who brought me here today uh, <laughs> to this convention is wonderful wonder fest um the b9 club uh, they make the robots yes. and the, the panels they're extraordinary right. you wouldn't believe what they bring to these shows and right. uh they're so dynamic in what they do and and what they make it, it, it I, it's impressive I'm speechless really, yeah. when i when i see see what they've done right the convention's Give me the opportunity to connect with people who have have become my family mm. throughout these years. And I've made really good friends, simply from people who have said, I loved watching your show. My family watched the show. I have this great uh, feeling of um, nostalgia, of longing of, right. of the, for those times. Um, you know, the show might have been silly at times, but it was about family. Right. And that, um, I told the story last night to some friends about, um, there was a, a very well-known journalist, a te- television critic who was asked, 
Which show would you prefer? What, what, what did you like best as a kid? Was it Star Trek or was it Lost in Space? And he said, oh, Lost in Space. And they said, why? And he said, because there's an episode where the father has a, a helmet put on by uh, some aliens and it makes him angry and mean. And, and they're, they're directing him to do things. And uh, one of the things they tell him is to throw William, Bill Mummy, uh, off a cliff. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, and the little Billy looks up at him and says, Dad, before you do that, can I tell you something? And and the guy nods, and, and, and Billy says, I love you. Mm. And that gets you. <laughs> it gets me. It gets me every gets time every I talk time. about it, because that's what our show was right. really about. And it was about uh, a family getting together, family struggling, family figuring out how to, how to, uh, even though we had monsters and it became silly, it really in the end was about the, the family unit and, um, and, and love. And yeah. love. It was about the love. Yeah. And, um, and what love? I mean, they were even showing love to someone who wasn't a family member, Dr. Smith, and he was yes. always screwing things up for them. <laughs> and they still, you guys always forgave him. That's in the past. All right, Dr. Smith, bring yeah. it back in. And that's something that sticks with me. That's so beautiful what you said. I do think that's something that makes the series so beloved by the fans is that sense of love and family and everything. And you just don't get that with most science fiction adventure TV shows. You no. Know? Great. You so I remember, actually, our friend Phil brought this up and another gentleman that was here, a friend of mine, Paul Monroe, brought up. The 1990 25th anniversary convention, I think that was one of the first ones that you guys did. Kevin Burns did that in Boston. Yes. And I watched a video from that where you guys were being interviewed on TV. And you guys come out on the stage, and there's a studio audience there, and it's packed. And you're practically getting a standing ovation. And all of you guys, your eyes were like this. I don't think you expected <laughs> no. anything like that no. at that point. No. That must have been when everything clicked. Hey, this people love this yeah. show. This yeah. means something to yeah. people. Yes. It, and that's why. This is what you're just talking about, isn't it? Exactly. My very good friend, one of my very good friends, uh, who's sort of a, a sister from, we're, we're sisters of soul, uh, soul yeah. sisters. And um, she had a very difficult childhood. And um, she said what saved her was lost in space. You know, she could watch it and put herself into the family unit and pretend that that was her family. And it just, it gave her a blessing in a way to go forward to, to figure out how to deal with life. And she is one of the most compassionate people I have ever met mm. and smart and understanding of the foibles and the difficulties of human, of, of the human condition. She's someone who's come from a terribly abusive background, but that she was able to find a way. And part of it was through Lost in Space, find a way to, take herself out of that momentarily so that she could survive her childhood. Mm. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. it, sounds, it sounds like it's way overboard, but these are the people that I meet. Right. And it's not everyone, but there are a few. And that's the lesson that uh, being a performer and being so um, uh, blessed to uh, be a part of that right. is, uh, for me, as an actor, is why we do it. That's great. You know, to communicate, to, mm. to help people. Well, I think that's a lovely note to end on. I've been very greedy with, with your time, and I wanted to talk about 
Life After Lost in Space, all the commercials you did and other oh, yes. roles. I want to talk about Roger Corman and Battle Beyond the oh, yeah, Stars because yeah. I bet you have some fun stories there. But maybe we'll save some of that for another time. Okay. I hope I can talk into coming back on the show okay, at a I later do, date. I, I do want to say that with my, my husband, my late husband, um, I just want to say that he's he's um, watching over me and I, I know that he's with me and, oh. and that um, he – Decided uh, early on, he was from a poor Irish uh, background, Irish, you know, six kids, and sure. and um, got a scholarship, uh, partial scholarship to Harvard Law School, and wow. and um, he could have made millions, but instead he decided to serve, and he became uh, a plaintiff's elder abuse attorney, and um, saved essentially poor people from uh, you know being abused in nursing homes, and. Um, Acting is not unlike that. It, we serve people because we try and help them lift them up. Mm. Well, you know, residual checks are nice, but I think knowing that you were part of something like Lost in Space that has brought so much joy, so much pleasure, helped people in trouble, that must give you a lot of satisfaction knowing that. That's the best. That's awesome. <laughs> Marta Kristen, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This has been a delight for me. I apologize if I, <laughs> I was too greedy with your time and everything, but no. you're a lovely person. And I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That was a blast, speaking with the luminous Marta Kristen. I must say, after spending time with her in person, it's obvious her outer beauty is exceeded only by her inner charm and grace. If you ever have the chance to meet her in person, don't pass it up. In the meantime, we will be back next time with another episode of Alpha Control, where Kurt and I will get back to reviewing our beloved original Lost in Space. Until then, take care, and we'll see you then. Thanks, fellow Galactic Castaways, for listening to the Alpha Control Podcast. Please leave your comments or questions on our Facebook page, Twitter, or email us at alphacontrolpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast via libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. Or through iTunes. If you like the show, please leave us a review as well. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week, same time, same channel.